everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 108 of the show. I've always liked the number 108. I don't know why. It's a multiple of 12, I think. But yeah. And my son just told me it's 12 times 9, so that is correct. Um, anyways, and we're here to talk about some Marvel comics. How you doing, Mike? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm all right. How unusual talking about Marvel comics on this show. Well, we... um. We just got finished recording our Dark Phoenix episode that came out a few weeks ago. And uh, I mentioned on there that like we do these episodes kind of way in advance to make sure there's always a bit of a lead time. So we don't know what the world is going to be like when this episode comes out. Yeah. But right now it's April 3rd and we are in the, in the deep pits of social distancing and Florida's issued a stay at home order. And yeah, yeah, it's a crazy yeah. world right now. Maybe there won't be a world. Who knows? Well, shit, dude. <laughs> well, there probably will be. But. I mean, if there's not a world, who's going to listen to these podcasts? <laughs> I know. How are they even going to be released? That's weird. I don't know. You'll have to figure that out when we get there. Yep. All right. So this episode, we're going to be finishing up October of 1965 with the last couple of comics from October 12th, I think. Yeah. Uh, yes. October 12th. Gosh, we're in October already. And I was about to say, and you're starting us off, but you're not. No, I am. I never start us off anymore. Right. Okay. Well, um, I'll start us off, and you always have to follow my act. So. Oh no. Oh no. But I get to cover Spider-Man, so ha. I know. On the this other is... hand, that's not as cool as it used to be, but we'll see. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait. I okay. can't wait. Okay. Great. You are always doing Spider-Man. I am always doing Sergeant Fury and Captain America these days. Yeah. So we have uh, we have flipped the script. Yeah. All right. Those who would destroy us. Introducing the mystery of The Seeker. There is a, a very nice cover of um, Black Bolt with his pit wings extended and his arms up in the air like he's doing the YMCA. And the... Um, the recap box says, seeing that their hiding place beneath the city has been discovered by the FF, the incredible band of inhumans strikes back, led by the mysterious being known as Black Bolt. And his story is by our leader, Stan Lee. Illustrations by our idol, Jack Kirby. Inking by our star, Joe Sinnott. And lettering by our letterer, Artie Simic. <laughs> Poor Artie. Poor Artie. So the Fantastic Four are fighting Black Bolt because they don't know anything better to do. And so they're fighting and Johnny Storm got knocked out last issue. So they go to revive him. But then Triton attacks. Uh, he's been covered in a cloak this entire time. He uncovers. It looks like he's a giant fish man who dives back in the water because he can't breathe without his cloak. Um Crystal runs forward. It's like, what have you done to Triton? Karnak tries to attack with his ability to always find the weakness in anything. But Susan throws up her invisible force field. So um, Gorgon does his stompy move, which bounces the force field ball away. And then we cut scenes to the Seeker. The Seeker is this dude in a red Pope hat um, <laughs> who's leading a bunch of henchmen to find... Uh, Inhumans, and they go to Dragon Man in Fantastic Four headquarters to see if he's an Inhuman. They manacle him and then um, put him on a big old ship, take him away, 
Um, we go back to the fight. The stuff with Black Bolt continues for a while until Black Bolt runs out of energy. And that's when the dog gets involved. Um, Thing and um, Lockjaw start fighting over uh, one of those eye beams that you like build stuff with. Um, there's basically just more violence until finally Lockjaw takes all the Inhumans away. They teleport. They do mention before they leave that they were hiding from the Seeker. So we have met the person they're trying not to get discovered by. And so the Fantastic Four go home. They go home to find a big old hole in the wall where the Seeker left with Dragon Man. And then the uh, Seeker, uh, is he call them on Skype or did he leave a recording for them? I believe he is on their recording because yeah, they, that's right. they, they, have TV they kidnapped cameras. Dragon Man from their facility. Yeah, so they have security cameras looking at the footage, find out what happened, and they see the Seeker talking about how awesome he is, how he's the Seeker. Um, we also find out that the Seeker has managed to kidnap Triton since he ran away from the fight. He's in a bubble of water in the Seeker's fortress. The Fantastic Four go after the Seeker. They get sucked into the fortress as well. Um, the Seeker tells them the backstory of the Inhumans, how they are um, an offshoot of human civilization. Actually, I don't even think he calls them a ho- option. I think he just says that they're like a parallel um, evolution. I don't think that he, we actually identify them as specifically being an option of humans yet. But they had like the super advanced society and they had to go into hiding from humans as humans evolved. Like they became fearful. So inhumans who have these powers had to start hiding from them. Dragon Man wakes up and causes a ruckus. Triton's bubble of water gets broken. So he's dying on the ground because he can't breathe without water. Um, and we end with Dragon Man breaking loose. The Fantastic Four, scared, and I think that's it. I think it's just Dragon Man running wild as our dramatic cliffhanger. Yeah, he's basically just hulking out. Yeah, I was trying to see if the Seeker got away too, but it doesn't look like it. So, lots of fighting in this, but also some revelations. Yeah. It's hard to say how I feel about this story, because it's also like part middle of something that's going to continue. It felt very second act-ish, yes. Yeah. So, it's like, it depends on where they go as to whether I like this. Right. But... I'm not loving the Seeker. I don't think I've ever heard of the Seeker before. Like I said, I don't know much about Inhumans. I recognize the characters, but so like this is a big revelation about Inhumans, and I was just kind of like, I don't know if I even get it exactly what they are. Yeah. Well, and what they are is going to get more fleshed out. Like this is an origin story that, like, it's one of those from a certain point of view <laughs> origin stories. Mm-hmm. It's going to get expanded on and retcon to the point where reading it here feels like the seeker might actually be deliberately lying about some points because they're just is, some things that are like so inaccurate it's almost be not true is the seeker an inhuman that's what i was wondering i feel like he's an inhuman seeking out inhumans to bring them back to the land of the inhumans but when he talks about his race he says we our race date back to prehistoric days right and then right. the ne- next panel he says and science of genetics was our greatest Interest. We were able, through use of, a, of very genes, to control evolution and to direct in any way we wished. We produced many inhumans, like as if to say he isn't one, but they just made a bunch of them or something. Um, I think he's saying we, the inhumans, made a whole bunch of different kinds of us. Okay. So they just don't breed conventionally. They make themselves through science. 
Right, because the panel that goes along with that is a whole bunch of different looking people. And that also explains why he then later says that they hid from the human population because humans were expanding way faster than they were. Mm-hmm. So maybe if they're just creating one or two at a time, that's why. And it, they, they do introduce the idea of the Great Refuge here, which is evidently where all the other inhumans are. Mm-hmm. So what we don't know exactly at this point is why this family of inhumans is separate from everybody else. Mm-hmm. We don't explicitly know why Medusa was separate from them, although I have a no prize I'll talk about later. Um, but we do have, they currently are trying not to be discovered by the Seeker. And that's kind of why they're hiding underground right now. So the Seeker is part of the Inhuman Inhumans. And then these Inhumans that are super famous in Marvel are an offshoot that are hiding from being dragged back to being an Inhuman. Exactly. And then on top of that, we have uh, uh, Medusa who's hiding from the hiding people. Exactly. Wow. A lot of complicated stuff, but we don't know why. Not fully everything yet, no. Um, And as far as not knowing who the Seeker was, I looked him up. He is one of those characters who's like important right now to this particular story concept, but he is not really that important to the Inhumans, and he does not come back after this particular story wraps. Because all the other Inhumans have like cool powers, Mm -hmm. and the Seeker walks around looking like Sergeant Pepper, and he has all these soldiers, but they don't all seem to be uniquely powered or anything cool like that, so... Right. Are they the same thing or are they not? It just seemed odd, kind of. Do all the Inhumans have powers? Because like these guys just seem to be like guys with guns. Uh-huh. Stooges following the dude in red. Yeah. So that's why I was wondering if they're even the same thing. But I guess maybe they'll clarify more later, hopefully. Because I walked away slightly yeah. confused. Um, I agree with you. This is sort of like a hard to know how you feel about it because it's following up on one thing and setting up other things, but doesn't actually do much on its own. So all I know about Black Bolt is he's the guy who doesn't talk because if he whispers, like, solar systems explode or something. Basically. And, like, I always forget about the wing pits when I saw him here <laughs> with the wing pits. Uh-huh. I had to... I actually wrote in my notes, wow, that design's gonna change. And I went and looked up images and, no, it's it's stuck around. Why does he um, have wing pits? Does he fly? I don't know why... I think he can glide. I think he has, like, the generic... I have wings in my armpit so I can glide powers that Spider-Man has. Sure. But I'm not positive on that. But I actually think he has a lot more things going on than I thought. I thought he was just like the king who never talked and stuff. But he's like going toe-to-toe with Thing for the good chunk of this issue. Yeah, he has some strength to him in addition to his power. He's got strength or he's really good at dodging or, you know, judo or whatever. There's that scene where it's like you're not as strong as him. You have to use the ultimate master blow. (laughs) <laughs> and then things like that sounds stupid because it works, you know, yeah. like it like high him right in the chest or something. And he like falls over. So that was all interesting stuff. I didn't know black bolt could do. Um, I thought it was interesting. Cause one of the things I've been paying a lot of attention to is, is the whole Medusa connection, like how this folds back into her usual place in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew she was going out into the world before she went. Oh, they mentioned it on page 12 in the second panel. Uh, we warned you not to enter the world of humans, Medusa, because of you, we've been discovered. See what your disobedience has brought us. Which is a weird way to talk to your queen, but they haven't specifically said she's the queen yet. And if we recall, we found her in a cave. So that's as far as the real world that she got. She was living yeah. in a cave, and then the wizard approached her, basically. And for some reason, she was a bad guy, and now it's like, but you haven't given them a chance. Like, she's on their side now. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering... If that ever gets fleshed out later in the, in, you know, 
in future uh, issues down the line, like why was she duped by the wizard? Like what was her state of mind at that point versus now? Right. I don't know. And because like when Crystal wants to go with Johnny, which by the way, this is the first time that Crystal has actually voiced an interest in Johnny. It's always <laughs> been Johnny going after her. Um, Medusa seems to be voicing her own desire. Gorgon, take us if you must, but leave Crystal. Give her the chance to live like a human. Like uh-huh. she's saying, this is what I would like to be doing. I would like to be living like a human. So please let Crystal do it. Mm-hmm. And boy, are they in love already. I want to, please let me stay here and abandon everything to be with Johnny. And Johnny's like, oh my God, I'm never going to see her again. Devastated. That's very 65, I guess. Yeah. Very, very teenager hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sue, I know she's just reminding the readers, but she really sounds like she's only now figuring out this whole thing. Then Medusa wasn't some sort of freak, but rather part of a strange, unsuspected race. <laughs> and everyone else just, turns and looks at her. Like, yeah, good job. Yeah, we, 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 we've, we've been there. We've done that. We're going to keep uh, going. <laughs> so unlike Kurt Busiek, I think Reed Richards is actually kind of yucky most of the time. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it was fun. I like page 15 where they're like, where Sue's like, oh my God, they have, they captured the Dragon Man and they, they demolecularized our wall to do it. They must have amazing, super scientific weapons as arsenals. And Reed's like picking up this cool Reed gun. He's like, yeah, but so do I. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of neat because yeah. he is cool. He's cool sometimes. Well, he's cool. He's just yeah. not a nice person. He's just kind of shady and certain, or he makes weird decisions, I guess. I'm not sure what his motivation is, but. Yeah. He he's got cool decisions. science. He's got he saves the day with weird yeah. science all the time. He and he and uh, well, we only got three team books, huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't think Professor X or or Reed Richards are the greatest examples of leadership on teams, but no, that's okay. And Cap can't decide if he actually Cap, wants to be an Avenger or not. Yeah, Cap's not doing so hot right now either, is he? <laughs> <laughs> so it's mind. almost like Marvel's trying to write superheroes with hangups. Yeah, right. <laughs> trying to say the okay. man, the man is bad. So should I share my Medusa no prize? Mm-hmm. Okay. So things that we know. Okay. We know the Inhumans live in the Great Refuge. Okay. We know that the ones we've seen so far are all the same family, and they left the Great Refuge to find some kind of freedom. Okay. We know also that they can't really blend in with the humans or they'll attract the Seeker's attentions. Like there's living in hiding, plus some of them can't pass for human. So right. all of that is known. Here's my headcanon explanation for Medusa. She left the rest of the family to try to find some way to blend in with humans. Like she figures she can pass. She wants to live a human life. And in her efforts, maybe she had some failures early on because some, for some reason she ended up living in a cave. Uh-huh. So maybe tried to live with humans, didn't work out. She was in a cave. The wizard found her. And when the wizard finds her, she sees this as an opportunity to be with humans. So mm. everything she does with the Frightful Four is a put-on. First to ward off the Seeker, and then to blend in with the group and avoid attracting the Seeker's attention because she wants to try feel humanity. So what do you think about that? That works. Or even one step further, she thinks that's how humans are. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Until she starts getting around the Fantastic Four, and then that only works up till she kidnaps Johnny in the car, but... He did. I he think, did like let her go. So maybe that's when she starts realizing she's on the wrong side or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's my thought with her. I think the comics eventually go with the row role or the idea rather that she had amnesia at some point. And oh so boy! Wasn't actually, being herself. Um, but I 
kind of like the idea of her choosing to be that way for some reason better. Well, boy, I sure hope next issue they go into it with better detail than they have. Like, if this is all we're going to get, that's sad. Like, why she's running away in the first place. They haven't even answered that, really. Yeah, I, I, and, and I literally honestly don't remember if or how well they addressed the question. Ugh, that'll be really frustrating. But yeah, also not surprising. Hey, uh, hey, Mike. Yeah? That was issue 46. Wow. Galactus is in two issues. Oh, who? Wow. I have never read the original Galactus appearances, so that'll, <gasps> that'll be fun. I know. I know about them. I kind of know the plot and what happens, but I don't think I've read them, you know, cover to cover before. The last time I read them was for the unofficial Marvel's Greatest 75 Countdown podcast. We're getting, we're getting to issues now where, like, series like Marvel's or pretty much anything that's, like, a nostalgic series that has flashbacks. Mm-hmm. We're getting to stories that they're flashbacking to. Yeah. So, like, I'll, I know that they defeat Galactus with the ultimate nullifier that the Watcher gives them or whatever. But, like, I've never actually read that. I just know that because I've seen that in other things. Right. And uh, um, the Alex Ross paintings of, like, the stones right. in the air, the fire in the air and everything. Yeah. And, like, this next comic we're going to cover as an awesome segue. Like, I know I have seen the scene at the end of this in the beginning of issue 33. It's a very classic scene, but I don't believe I've read the story surrounding it before. So... All right. Well, let's get We're into gonna. it. Yeah. So Amazing Spider-Man number 32, man on a rampage with his Aunt May gravely ill in the hospital. Spider-Man fights as never before. And it shows him like killing people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, prepare yourself for a startling surprise. You and Spidey are about to meet one of his most powerful former foes. What? No, that's not possible. As the teenage web spinner plunges into battle with every tick of the clock bringing him closer to defeat. Man on a Rampage. Script plus editing by Stan Lee. Plot plus illustration by Steve Ditko. Lettering plus kibitzing by Artie Semek. Under the sea it stands, the hidden headquarters of the Master Planner, whose band of strangely garbed criminals we met last-ish. Um, we actually met them two issues ago when they were not working for the cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kind of got confused there. So, yeah, we start out with that same, like, underwater... Uh, Thunderball thing. And by the way, everybody, the master planner, he's really Dr. Octopus because they finally, <gasps> they, they reveal it. And he's complaining about Spider-Man getting in the way last issue and preventing him from getting his hands on radiation. Because if he could just get more radiation, he would be the Hulk or something. So he's really excited about that idea. He calls his deputy squad leader over the, over the uh, screen phone and tells him to go look for more radiation. We then cut to Peter Parker going to uh, the Daily Bugle. As you recall, if you don't recall, Betty Brant has been asked to marry Ned Leeds, and she wants to find out what Peter thinks about that. And he's like, at this point, trying to brush her off because she admitted that she hates Spider-Man. So it's like, no matter what he does, if he tells her the truth, she'll hate him. Or he could be with her and she'll think like he's something other than he really is. Like she thinks he's this safe bet instead of like an adventurer and stuff. So he decides the best thing to do is just be a mean jerky head um, and push her away. So he does that. And then let Ned, Ned leads gets in his face a little bit, not angrily because Ned has no emotions at this point still, but he's like, Hey, you really ought to tell uh, Betty if she can marry me or not. We're waiting on you. And that 
makes Spidey or Peter Parker mad and he pushes him off and it knocks over a cabinet and J. Jonah Jameson yells at him and then yells at him for more because he's trying to sell him boring photos because he hasn't been out adventuring because Aunt May is dying. Uh, speaking of that, he goes to the hospital. They finally figured out what she's dying of. No people who hate Aunt May. She's not dying because she's perpetually old. She's dying because she has radiation poisoning because in that one issue... Peter Parker gave her his blood to keep her alive because she's perpetually old. So now she's dying of radiation. And he feels real bad about that. And he starts crying. And then he starts breaking his desks with spider strength and stuff. And then he's like, I, need, I know what I need to do. I need to find that guy, Doc Connors. Because he was pretty smart, except for the whole part where he accidentally turned to a lizard. He's pretty smart about radiation stuff. So he tracks him down. Now he's not in Florida anymore. He's actually in New York. So he goes over there to Spider-Man, where he steals some of Matt May's blood first from a vial. Then he goes over to Spider-Man. He says, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me cure this? And Doc Connor's like, dude, I totally owe you. I would have eaten my family if it wasn't for you. Yes, I will help you. Um, there's still time for that later. There's still time for that later. <laughs> and he's like, you know what we need? We need this thing called ISO 36, but it's kind of expensive and hard to get. And Peter's like, or Spider-Man's like, I'll come up with the money. You just order it. Um, so he sells his like microscope and he puts together as much cast as possible and he gives it to him. And then they start doing cool like lab stuff together. Doc Connors and Spider-Man in this really cool scene. That's neat. Um, meanwhile, though, the ISO 36 is being delivered and somehow Doc Ock finds out about it and he sends his goon squad, the purple guys over to steal it. So now Doc Connors gets a phone call. that says it got stolen and Spider-Man's like, no, I've got to go out there and find it. So he goes on a rampage and, uh, Along the way, oh, he's looking. He decides to go find Frederick Foswell because that dude has his ears to the, uh, the 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 whatever the ground when it comes to crime. So first he goes to Daily Bugle and he encounters Betty and she recoils in horror. So he's like, "Yep, all the more reason not to date her anymore." Then he finds Foswell and he says, "Listen, if you can help me figure this out, I'll give you the exclusive." And then he basically goes around town being like a really angry Batman. And, like, interrogating one person after another and breaking things and stuff. But nobody knows where COVID, what was it? I, ISO 36 is. <laughs> COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> that was legitimately an accident. But anyway. Uh, uh, but finally, I can't remember. I think he just stumbles across it. Oh, he stumbled. Like, one of the places he beats up, he realizes there's a secret door on the floor, a secret floor. And he goes inside and he finds all those purple guys and he just starts beating them up. And he's really angry. Like he's not doing his fun spidey fighting. He's like trying to hurt them and stuff. Uh, and then Dr. Octopus is excited that Spider-Man's there. So he puts out the uh, ISO 36 as like a trap with a big spotlight on it. And Spider-Man falls for it. And then Dr. Octopus comes out of a wall and like attacks him. And they get in a big fight. Um, but Spidey's not having any of it. And is really rough with the fighting. And at one point he picks up this pillar that Doc Ock smashes and he throws it at Doc Ock and that hits another pillar. And then suddenly the entire uh, ceiling is falling down on them. And I don't know what happens to Doc Ock. Technically he's not dead because we know he's not dead, but he looks like he's dead. But more importantly, Spider-Man gets pinned under, under all this metal and uh, you know equipment and stuff and he can't, lift it or get up. He sees the ISO stuff there just out of reach, but he can't get out from under this thing. And also, just to make it even worse, since this is an underground lair in the water, like, it starts dripping and 
dripping faster, and pretty soon the the, the ceiling's going to cave in and probably drown him. And so as hard as he tries, he cannot lift this thing, and he's stuck, and he's pinned, and it cuts to Aunt May dying, and it cuts to Doc Connors waiting for the ISO 36 to show up, and it cuts to the purple guys waiting outside saying, if Spider-Man does get out, we'll shoot him. And it's to be continued with him being a big, fat failure stuck underneath a bunch of equipment. I start slowly, slowly, slowly dripping faster. <laughs> when I'm dripping water, it gets really hard to stop. Hey! Yeah. Um, okay, so you were saying some uh, some shady things about this earlier. So I would like to, to expound upon that. No, I actually didn't that. hate this. I didn't hate this. I will say I did a little like, what, that's baloney when it turned out to be Doc Ock. Okay. Uh, Here's what I think they went wrong with that. Because, first of all, it's Doc Ock. He's a pretty uh, big character. He's got his own gimmicks going on. Why are you also making him the master planner? That's just shady, weird, dumb, stupid stuff. But what they could have done, and here we go again with this whole, like, teaching people, teaching 1965 Marvel how to, like, reveal characters in their art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, why not make the last page of issue 31, which I believe just had dialogue coming out of the side corners of a panel and not showing who the character was that was talking. Right. Why not make that a big reveal of that's Doc Ock? And everybody goes, what? Awesome. And then you pick up issue 32 and Spider-Man and Doc Ock are fighting on the cover. I don't know. This was just like a weird bonkers reveal. It seemed odd to me. Definitely a weird bonkers reveal. And there's the whole, like, they don't know how to draw big, awesome reveals. Yeah. Like, that's not an aesthetic yet. Yeah. So he's like he's just like the top panel on the second page is Doctor Octopus. Oh, okay, it's Doctor Octopus. You know what a great Doc Ock reveal was? Oh man, What's into, that? into the Spider Verse. Come on, that was so good. Totally tricked me. Oh yes, that was really good. Anyway, uh, but otherwise, I do enjoy this. I, I actually haven't been enjoying these purple guys, but now that they're working for Doctor Octopus, I guess that's kind of more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. You can see maybe some of why I don't think this is necessarily the end all be all of Ditko Spider Man, mm-hmm. which is what it's often you know touted as. Uh-huh. Um, it's I mean it's got some really great drama uh-huh. with it may almost die. Yeah, um, it's going to have a really excellent moment next issue when Spidey you know spoilers gets out of that debris. Right, that's um, pretty epic. Yeah, but just as a story telling like experience this is kind of simple and Mm -hmm. the i I really as far as you know the two great steve ditko spider-man trilogies i prefer the 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 he quits and comes back trilogy but you know that definitely had more drama i feel like this is just kind of you know what's weird is even though it's doc ock which makes it better i also still am like what does he need radiation for why does he have these purple guys now you know, it's like kind of weird. It, they don't really explain what he's trying to research with the radiation, do they? No. They said some stuff at the beginning about him needing radiation stuff, which is, I thought the actual scripting in this was pretty good because they dropped that he needs radiation stuff before you ever find out that there's radiation in Aunt May's blood. Um, well, basically he's like, okay, radiation is responsible for how, how awesome I am today. But what he means by that is his... His radiation experiments failed and he blew up. So that's like not really radiation's fault. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I mean, it is, but he's not powered by radiation. So that's weird. And then he's like. Radiation fused his suit to him. Yeah, as an accident thing. But. Right. I mean, he's just science, basically. But like, and then it's like radiation 
thanks to the radiation, the world will soon be menaced by Dr. Octopus because I will be able to control radiation and there'll be no limit to the amount of powers I could gain from radiation. It's like, okay, that's just not very specific. Or And since when does he suddenly, I don't know. When someone says Doc Ock, I don't think, oh yeah, that guy who needs radiation. Right. Maybe it was a way of bringing his scientist aspect back and they just weren't sure exactly what yeah. story hook to use. Yeah, yeah. I think they could have just thought about that a little more or something. Like he should have been putting together a big bomb or something. I don't know. Right. I don't know. I, I don't really even know about, what his motivation is. Well, we talked about that with the um, with the two-part thing where he like, you know, goes to Pennsylvania and abducts mm-hmm. Benny Brandt and Benny mm-hmm. gets killed and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to be a gangster yeah. at that one. And it's like, okay, so how did he go from like, a nebbish in a lab uh-huh. to gangster level. And so now they're trying to bring back the scientist aspect of it, which I applaud, but I don't think they had the right story hook for that. Well, I was actually thinking, I don't even know myself what Dr. Octopus is all about, actually, if I think about it. Like, I know about as, his, as, like, as far as his reason for existing. I know he's a bad guy, and I know he has cool arms mm-hmm. and all that, but, like... Uh, Beyond megalomania, what is actually going well, on? Well, is him? that is that what he's into? Taking over the world, or is he a different kind of villain? Is he into like his own personal stuff, or what? Is, what is what gets him up in the morning? I'm really not sure, and I'm still not sure based on what we've read. I mean, Dan Slott gave him some motivations in his run, which turned into the whole Superior Spider-Man thing. Mm-hmm. But I kind of agree with you. Like, what is driving Doctor Octopus? I mean. Sometimes the bad guys just want to get back at their heroes, and so there becomes some of that where he just wants to get back at Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But like as a person, why is he a villain? What is he trying to achieve? Yeah. Does he just want money? Does he just want power? Does he just he he's never has he's never arms? struck me he's never struck me as the guy who wants to take over the world like Doom. Mm-hmm. He strikes me as the guy who just wants to do cool illegal experiments, maybe because he's often cast as like. The guy, like, oh, we have, you know, like, there's Norman Osborn, who's the main Lex Luthor, but then we have Doc Ock over here, who's working on this crazy thing that we're not supposed to be doing, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. So this this, it, this whole radiation thing, I just, I was like, I don't know what this means. I recently read his origin story. Not his origin for, like, his arms, but, like, his life story. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may just be a certain amount of, I never really had control over my life. Mm. I was always trying to make other people happy and not be very successful. And so just the idea of having power and being in a position of people obeying him, maybe that in and of itself is a drive for him. I'm trying to remember what his plot was in Spider-Man 2. It was to like actually succeed at the thing that he failed at, right? I think so. Which is what his original origin was, right? Didn't he, after the explosion, like hold himself up in that lab and not let anybody in because he wanted to keep working and it was going to explode New York or something? I don't even know if we got to the Explode New York part. I think he was just trying to run that lab. <laughs> and, and for some reason that bothered Spider-Man? You can't run a lab? Well, he was keeping hostages. He wouldn't let anyone in or oh, out. Oh, right, right. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. He's obsessed with like fixing what went wrong. But anyway, we're dwelling on this a lot. But there's, I just that was like the weakest part to me is this whole I don't really know what he wants thing. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the weirdest conversation in the history of humanity. Okay. Um, hey, Betty. I know that you haven't told me if you're going to marry me because you're not sure if you want to break up with Peter or not. We really should figure this whole thing out. And Peter, since you're here, I really would like to marry Betty, but she needs to talk to you about that first. So let's uh, let's figure this out. What is even going on with these three? What is going on with Ned? That's all Ned. Ned is so weird. 
Well, Betty's, I mean, yeah, he's weird because he, he he's okay with this. Yes, that's what's weird. He has no, that's what I was saying in my summary, he, has, he seems like he has no emotion about it whatsoever. It's all just like business for him or something. <laughs> so do we want to do this merger or, or are you guys yeah. not going to? You know, it's weird. And Peter is understandably upset. His aunt is sick. His girlfriend wants to marry somebody else or is being proposed to by somebody else. And he can't be himself with her because every time he brings a Spider-Man, she's like, oh, no, I'm going to die. Um, yeah. So I can understand why he's upset. And then he sh- <laughs> he shoves Ned so hard that it makes the bookshelves in the next room fall over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was funny. I'm kind of like hoping this takes because I'm really I'm getting done with Betty, you know. Like mm-hmm. let's let's go ahead and let's go ahead and and be mean to her so we could just get this over with. <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it's going to keep going, but I'm sort of on Peter's side here. Just like let's just let's just cut this off now. I got other yeah. problems to worry about. Um, I thought there was some great art on page five. Oh yeah, it's really good. Um, with him just like on his own dealing with his emotions. Aunt May's going to come home and be mad. <laughs> But Peter, dear, that was my favorite coffee table. How, how did it get smashed by a bulldozer? Weird. Your uncle built that out of his bare hands. I thought it was great that Connors was in this. I didn't see that coming. Yeah, it's a really cool callback for mm-hmm. like literally no reason. He's not the lizard. He's just the one other science guy that Spider-Man knows. That's into radiation or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope he doesn't become the lizard in this because sometimes it's nice to just have Connors in a story and it be Connors. But well, I'll tell you, he doesn't. Okay, the next great. lizard story is still a ways away. Good. I love that. Um, I loved when he and like Spider Man starts chipping in to help, and he's like, "Oh, you're actually a pretty cool scientist." He's like, "Yeah, I, I'm in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have worked in the chem lab in my chemistry class. Uh-huh. <laughs> but hey, I've got a scholarship to go study at ASU. So you know, um, I actually really dug the plot structure. Um, they've been." talking about the thefts of scientific stuff for a while uh-huh. and on a completely separate note, Peter needs a rare medicine for Aunt May. Yep. And only after that's established, Auk finds out about the same medicine. It just so happens that his science has to do remotely with Aunt May's illness. Like those two things are separate items that dovetail. And it, just, it felt organic to me. Hopefully the Foswell thing, like something happens next issue with that. Cause it went nowhere here, but it's also uh, a setup. Just, it's a setup. Yeah. It's so. dangling it. Yeah, so that was kind of cool. Seeing Spider-Man in rage mode is pretty shocking. You know, that doesn't happen very often. Um, Betty sees Spider-Man and kind of freaks out. And I remember the last time she saw him. Was it the scorpion fight where she fainted? It may have been, yeah. She's then, kind of back and forth on whether she likes him or not. Right. I think the time before that was where Dr. Octopus kidnaps her. That's where it all went wrong. But she definitely has a look of revulsion on her face in this one. Mm-hmm. Just seeing him, so. So... Comic doctors are <laughs> constantly talking about prayer uh, and things being in God's hands now. Yep. Have you ever heard a real doctor talk that way? I sure hope not, but I also believe I've heard it on like old TV shows and stuff. Right, so, TV shows, yeah. So I don't know if it's just the comics that are doing that. Like I could actually see a cheesy black and white doctor. All we can do is pray. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Because that was their thing. No, I've never had a doctor tell me that, but I've also never been on death's door. So I don't know. Maybe they do say that. Um, I was amused, and this is not the only time that this is going to happen in our soon comics, but there is a tunnel that runs from under a random New York alley Mm -hmm. to a base on the bottom of the bay. Yeah, that's a long tunnel, huh? 
Yeah, it's a really cool idea. But like you said, it's got to be a really long walk. Yeah, like, and he didn't need Foswell to find them, so I'm hoping that that pays off later somehow. But Oh, wait. Because that was the whole what, point, right? What, what, what did he say with Foswell? I forget. He's like, I need you to help me find the master planner, and then he just finds him himself. Oh, you're right. So, yeah, I guess... I don't remember what's going to happen with Foswell on that one, but he did. Just, maybe it's just one of the whole Foswell thing, sort of like a dangling concept for a while. I'm yeah. not sure exactly how it plays into this. I was feeling that about him too. Like he doesn't really do a lot yet or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was cool because when I, I didn't know that that was this issue. And so I got into the end. And it's like, oh, I recognize those panels. Wow, this is crazy. I'm actually yeah. reading this issue. I never knew that before. Okay, see, page 15. Page 15 is a really good Dr. Octopus reveal. Uh-huh. Like, that should have been the reveal. Mm, yeah. And the, t- that's the true. tease on page 14 would have been a really good thing. To, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's true. They could have just skipped revealing him in the beginning at all. Just have it still be him just talking like he did last issue. Yeah. I kind of wish that's that another option. Case. That's another option. Yeah. Either reveal it the issue prior so that this isn't that big a deal or... Yeah, skip it till the very end of this issue and have it be this big splash page. That would have been cool. And it would have been great if he's like, oh, because he doesn't say, oh, Dr. Oppos, then you're the master planner. He does say that. But why actually assume that? That's interesting. Anyway, that's nitpicking. Um, he should have said, Dr. Octopus, so you're defending the master planner? I'll get yeah, how are you mixed up in all this? Yeah. <laughs> I am all this spider like, well, I'm best friends with Nefaria who at one point was called Magic Captain. And I just kind of think it's cool that we can change our names whenever we want to. <laughs> I mean, Steve Rogers is going to do it later. <laughs> right. Uh, I did like the last page. I thought it was nice and dramatic. Had a bit of a TV feel to it. Mm-hmm. Sort of like the end of a, a Batman cliffhanger. Yeah, lots of setup. So tune in next time. Yes. All right. Is that a... Is that that one? That's that one. Okay. So that takes us to, uh, oh, that takes us to a new month. We can't continue because we have to talk about this month. So should I run through it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. We have just finished October 1965, where we have visited with Journey into Mystery 123, where Thor fought Absorbing Man and Odin fought Absorbing Man in Asgard and the whole demon thing was happening back on Earth. We had the X-Men 15, part two of the Sentinels saga and the origin of the beast for no reason. Mm -hmm. Daredevil 11, the conclusion to the organizer and the furries. Tales to Astonish 75, where um, I forget what the Hulk did in that one. (laughs) Oh, he put on the brain thing and then attacked Washington and time travel to the future. Oh, that's right. Okay. And also uh, Namor finally like won the quest. (laughs) <laughs> and is going to go after, um, what's his name, Krang in the next issue. Uh-huh. Sergeant Fury 25, where Red Skull wasn't really in the issue, but he was. Mm-hmm. Strange Tales 140, where the Human Torch, I mean, where uh, <laughs> Sarge, uh, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., finally beat Hydra, and um, Dormammu and Doctor Strange wrestled with Gauntlet Pinchers. Yes. That was a thing. Tales of Suspense 73, where Iron Man goes to a castle and fights the Black Knight. 
while uh, Happy is dying. Mm -hmm. And also Captain America went up against the second sleeper. Mm -hmm. The Avengers 23, lots of stuff in in a month nowadays, uh, where Kang shows up. And so all the Avengers go to the future to help... um, to, to, to deal with Kang and Ravana's there and all that. And then the two we just talked about, the Fantastic Four 46 with the Inhumans and Amazing Spider-Man 32, part two of the Master Planner trilogy. So f- most and least favorites. I have my choices. Okay. My least is going to be Daredevil number 11. Good. Okay. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's the worst one, but I just remember feeling like it would it was taking forever to get through it. Like I don't know, it was just miserable for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite's going to be probably an oddball choice because I'm not even sure if it's the best story, but I enjoyed reading the most was Iron Man this month. I don't know. I, I was thinking Iron Man was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I don't know if it's because the art was all cool and new, or if it just was this cool like. You know, Castle, Black Knight, he's left for dead story, but I just liked it. I don't know. So those are my choices. Picking a most is kind of hard for me because, like, although there were lots of good stories, nothing jumps out at me as being a great story. Right. That's probably why I picked Iron Man because normally it'd be like Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or something right now. But, mm-hmm. but they're just kind of okay. Yeah. They're Spider-Man. good. But yeah. It's funny, Spider-Man is, you know, in the middle of his greatest story ever to some people, and it's just like, okay. It's cool. Yeah, it, ha- it, it definitely has some good points to it, but... Dr. St- Dr. Octopus needed radiation, okay. Yeah. Um, did I like something less than Daredevil? That's the question. Well, Hulk um, is pretty... Well, I don't know. Actually, that time travel spin at the end was kind of neat, but Hulk is kind of lame, sort of. I want Hulk to be better than it is. Yes. Hmm. X-Men are kind of just in the middle of the road. The whole thing with the Red red Skull, like the actual story was better than the fact that the Red Skull was in it. Yeah, you could just tell the entire time they were making that up, so it's kind of weird. Okay, um, my worst or my least favorite is going to be Doctor Strange. Okay, yeah. Wrestling with Dormammu does not need to happen. That's a good point. Putting out gauntlet pincers is silly. And I've read the one after that. And yeah, so um, that's my least favorite, Doctor Strange. Okay. Um, I might just pick the other half of that book. Oh, Cap? The End of Hydra. Well, I'm actually torn between Nick Fury and Captain America. Okay. And you know what? I'm going to give it to Cap. Yay. Captain America. um, The sleeper stuff is pretty cool. And like, as far as enjoyment versus not enjoyment, Uh I don't think there's a moment in that story that I didn't like. Yeah. They are cool. They're still feeling like setup, but it's a good setup. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, it's like that's kind of the thing that happens with these split books anyway. Is a lot of a lot of it is setup because they're they're they don't have as many pages to deal with. But Thor was a strong contender. Yeah, I agree. But I don't need the demon. The demon. The thing. The the whole guy in Mongolia who gets the mask of the North. Oh, Stone. really? I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't see that coming. But I just like that Odin just spanked Loki and. Absorbing yeah. man was on his way, but yeah, yeah, I thought about stuff. picking Thor. That was a pretty fun read too. I think it's mostly because Iron Man was drawn by Gene Colan, and that was really impressive. It looks so yeah. Good. I'm just totally picking it for the art, really. Yeah, the art and that was really, really. good. It was crazy good. Okay, well that's out of the way now. So we yep. ready for some uh, some X Men goodness? X Men, that's you, right? Yeah, because I just did Spider. That is me. This Supreme- I'm going to make Sacri- the supreme sacrifice. Yes, this is a total Doctor Who episode. 
Okay, so X-Men, the most mysterious fighting game of all time. The supreme sacrifice in which a life is lost. A battle won. There may be a better creative team somewhere, but we've never found them. Story Stan Lee, layouts Jack Kirby, penciling Jay Gavin, delineation Dick Ayers, and lettering Art Simic. So Jay has finally revealed his name. Mm. No, just kidding. That's still mm. Werner Roth. I got my people confused for a second. Right, right. Right, right, right. Okay, so um, last time you'll remember, the X-Men were uh, taken by the Sentinels into this hill, which had opened up to reveal a fortress underneath, and Xavier got left outside, and he's like, oh no, the fortress is disappearing into the hill. How am I going to stop them? Um, oh wait, there's this whole dead Sentinel back in the city. If I can find out why it's dead, I can find out how to kill all the others. So the X-Men are captured by the Sentinels. They're in this like big bubble that negates gravity. So all they can do is float around. Iceman tries to bust through it by making an ice uh, beam. Like if he keeps on adding ice to it, maybe the pressure on the glass will cause it to break. But the ice breaks instead. Um, The Beast, who is comatose on a stretcher, is taken to the Master Mold Sentinel, uh, where Bolivar Trask is also hanging out. And um, Master Mold is like, you have to do what I say because I have this disintegrator beam that you built into my hand. It's very much like Dr. Doom's finger gun. I can just shoot stuff and it disappears. And Trask is like, oh, I'm going to have to help him make more Sentinels. Fine, I'll do it. Meanwhile, Xavier is brought in, um, (laughs) carried in (laughs) on a chair by two other guys, (laughs) like a palanquin. And he's like, I'm going to figure out why this Sentinel is not working. And the police are like, well, we can't figure anything out, so I guess we'll let this random stranger do it. Hey, um, you're just going to stare at that thing for a while? That's, you know, we could, we could have done that. And then he's like, oh, that crystal over there in that tower that we've never talked about before. It's interfering with the radio signals on this sentinel. We have to destroy the source of the radio signals. Um, and so we go back to the sentinel headquarters. Um they're going to let the X-Men out of the fishbowl for some reason. And so the X-Men like are all psyched and ready. They timed their attack just at the right moment. Uh, Cyclops blasts the Sentinels with his eye beam. Angel pulls Gene out of the ball. Um, they leave Iceman behind because they know they're gonna like, you know, figure out how to get him out. They start fighting Sentinels. Um, they rescue the beast and they're carrying him out. Iceman makes ice on the ground. So the Sentinels try to chase them. They slip all over the ice and fall. The police have these helicopters. They've gotten that big crystal out of the tower and they take it to the place where Xavier saw the fortress, but it just looks like a green hillside. So the police are like, why are we here? And Xavier's like, I'm just going to stare out this window. Just stay here with the crystal. It'll totally be chill. Um, the Master Mold is starting to make Sentinels in a sort of Tomb of the Cybermen kind of wall structure that he's got going on. And what else? Oh, finally Trask is like, you know what? Um, this is all my fault. If he makes these Sentinels, they're going to take over the world. They're going to kill all the humans. And it's all me. So I'm going to just destroy everything, even my own life if need be. And he blows up the whole thing. The X-Men get out just in time. To avoid the fire, um, what else? And yeah, they get out to just time to avoid the fire. The whole thing explodes right after they leave. And both the Sentinels and Bolivar Trask are dead. But some shadowy menace is lurking outside of the Xavier Mansion. Dun, dun, dun. 
Dun, dun, dun. So did you notice how, like, the X-Men didn't do anything in this issue? They kind of didn't. <laughs> sort of funny, huh? Like, they I helped, mean, they, I mean they, they escaped, but... Yeah, they fight the they fight the Sentinels enough to escape, but they don't beat. They don't anybody. defeat them. They don't defeat them. Like Trask defeats them, and Xavier defeats them, basically. Right, and you know that dead Sentinel that was only dead because that crystal was interfering with his radio signals. Uh huh. Where is he? And they took the crystal away from him. So he should be and, walking around. Yeah, maybe he's hanging out with the fourth scroll. Maybe like because we know the Sentinels will appear again. Maybe the flashback will be. And yeah, once they stupidly took that crystal, the other one got up and went to Florida and started working on reproduction. Right. And That's then, what they'll work on in Florida. <laughs> and they'll be like, "Duh, we shouldn't have done that." By the way, this was released on November fourth, so we're starting our first week of November's releases. Okay. Um, okay. Xavier is thought ballooning a recap. Uh huh. And then the fortress starts sinking back into the ground. He's like, "Oh no, you interrupted my recap." I do like how he uses his mental powers to get these guys to pull over and like mind controls them to take him to the place or whatever. I don't know. I thought that was kind of neat. There were a couple of times where I thought he could like mind control people just a little bit more than he actually was. Yeah. Like people give him a lot of crap in this issue because he's just sitting there using his mind powers. Uh Why isn't he mind powering them into not giving him crap? That'd be great. But, you know, I think as a last resort, he mind powers people. So maybe he just takes crap. But, uh, I like when he, well, I like when his telepathy is actually about affecting minds and not scanning robots for weaknesses and stuff. So mm-hmm. this was a cool scene. Okay, there's a fun little bit of Sentinel dialogue, uh, page four. So they're putting the fishbowl of X Men on the little stand, <laughs> uh-huh. and like the first three uh, speech balloons are like sort of a conversation. One guy says, place the globe on the base. And he goes, yeah, we've done that. Okay. They're going to be safe here. The Master Bolt gives us orders for their final disposal. Their guy's like, yeah, no matter how they struggle, there's no way to overcome the irresistible power of increased gravity. Wait, this is why we're destined to rule mankind. <laughs> Our computerized brains can create weapons which no mere human can match. And they're all like, yeah, Dave, we figured that out. It's, yeah, that's that, 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 good. That's why we're doing this. Good job. Well I keep, done. I keep dropping Doctor Who, but I, I legit do feel that vibe when, I'm, when I've been reading this storyline. I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. these guys are so Dalek-y in a way. Like, uh, yeah, just, yeah. just talking about world domination and we have an exposition and what we're doing literally right now. And let's fill, like, seven minutes of this 20-minute episode with talking about mankind to each other. Okay. There's this story at the end of the third season called The War Machines. Mm-hmm. And in the story, there are these two guys. Okay, they're these. They've made this computer, mm-hmm. which has now gone sentient, is going to destroy humanity. The first, it like takes over people's minds. Uh-huh. So there are the two scientists, and there are at least three different scenes where the two scientists are just standing there talking to the camera about how they're going to take over the world. Yeah. They're not even having a dialogue. They're just going back and forth monologuing. <laughs> uh-huh. These guys yeah. monologue a lot. For, they do. For robots who you'd think would like just be programmed and know what they're supposed to do, why do they have to talk so much? It's kind of funny. Uh, just a nitpick that I actually thought was cool at first and then not cool, but like I was thinking when they're stuck in this this fishbowl, like you said, like how come Cyclops doesn't just shoot, right? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, actually, that's kind of interesting because he's – 
pinned down with gravity, he probably can't lift his hand up to touch his visor. And at this point in his career, doesn't he have to open it manually by pressing a button or whatever? But I then, think you're right. But then he does it. So that undermined all that thought I was having. He just shoots. Oh. He just shoots without touching his face. So I guess he doesn't have to do that. I don't know. I think at this point he's still a ma- uh, manual. Like there's a trigger in his thumb or something. Okay. I think he's he's still actually pushing a button. That uh, it's not a uh, mental thing. Um, there's a kind of a cute moment between. Uh, let's see. It's on page five. Yeah, page five. Mm-hmm. At the bottom, mm-hmm. Cyclops says, "You did all that any man could do. You tried your best." And he's like, "You called me a man for the first time." You're as much a man as any of us, Bobby. Except that the one speech balloon immediately before that was, don't ever say that again, boy. So it's kind of undercut there, too. But I did like that moment. And if you want to, and we don't have to, but if you want to like create character beats that have motivation and progress and you know development and stuff, like Cyclops has not really been much of the leader-leader yet. Because Xavier's still always around pulling the strings and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I kind of liked seeing this moment like where he's actually trying to be cool and and build up his partner's failure, his team member's failure. Oh, maybe he said boy and then self-corrected. Yeah. Maybe it was just like, I shouldn't have said that. I'm actually, you know, supposed to be, you know, setting a good example here and make him feel good, even though we all we all failed. So it's not his fault, right? Mm-hmm. None of us can get out of this stupid thing. I don't know. It was a cool beat. All right. I like that. I'm sure they weren't thinking that when they wrote it, but. (laughs) Now, I made it sound weird in the recap, but did you agree? Was it weird that Xavier's having them carry him in a chair? It's pretty hilarious. I guess he doesn't have his wheelchair. No, he left it. It'd be even more hilarious. Why did he leave it? Well, he crawled. Yeah. Did it get exploded last issue, maybe? With all the earthquakes and the firing and all that stuff? Oh, okay. I don't know. Maybe it did. It's. It'd be even funnier if someone just walked in carrying him without a chair, I guess. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I imagine. It's like, you know, you have, like, maybe his arms wrapped around each neck. Mm-hmm. And they're sort of supporting him vertically. I don't know. It just feels weird that they're, like, carrying the chair that he's sitting in. But maybe that does give him a little more dignity than the yeah. whole hauling up by his armpits. And he gets to make them do whatever he wants. So that works. Uh, the crystal felt out of nowhere. That is a really odd solution. Like, I was waiting to find out what all this master stuff was and that was it it's kind of like eh that wasn't that exciting no there's a crystal interfering with the radio waves and it's, okay it's kind of hokey that they can just suddenly have like these eight helicopters attaching the crystal to this cable and then flying around and stuff that was weird mm-hmm. that, sh- that should have taken at least three days to get to put together and the sentinels were working just fine yeah so they stopped working for some reason but that crystal has also been there the entire time yeah that's true so it doesn't really make sense, which I'm just not thinking about as we're talking. Well, unless you have to stand directly where the sun blows through the prism and hits them or something like that. But then that <laughs> that doesn't work with them just hovering it over the top of their building either to defeat them all. So, yeah, it can't be direct line of sight. It has to be proximity. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's dumb. It's just a weird crystal thing. Um, Je- Jean makes a fuss when uh, Warren's pulling her out of the bubble that we can't leave Bobby behind. Uh-huh. And he's like, we're not deserting them. You'll see. And it's like, yeah, if we stay trapped in the bubble, we have done nothing. That's how rescuing works. You have to get to a stronger position. 
<laughs> yeah, and she could also pull him out with her telekinesis if she wanted to, but instead of just complaining yeah. about it. I like True. that thing you posted on Twitter. I know you already posted it on Twitter, but like where Bobby, that was way back here, but Angel's like realizing that flying isn't awesome anymore. <laughs> like everybody's trying to get out of this fishbowl except Angel because he's like, oh, I didn't realize my wings were actually useless this whole time. Yeah, and like, yeah. That was it's, funny. It's kind of funny. But then he gets like, I think they purposely do this. They, he then gets a lot of, you know, fun action scenes afterwards when they open up the fishbowl. He gets out and flies around and beats people up and stuff. And he also saves Hank from, or he saves whoever Hank drops when the wall crumbles. Iceman, he mm-hmm. swoops up and grabs him too. So he's probably all full of himself again by the end of this issue. Probably. I'm thinking that Gene should love him the most. But speaking of Jean, she does some cool, like, she's been doing cool telekinetic stuff lately more. And at this, in this one, for the first time, at least according to her, she unlocks uh, a door by just reaching past it and finding the tumblers and clicking them open and stuff. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, not being able to see what she's doing has been a challenge for her. Like, they made a big deal about her um, releasing her own bonds when her hands were tied behind her body. Uh-huh. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, being able to uh, undo the lock without seeing it was pretty definitely neat. A, as an increase in power for her, um, or at least increase in her control of her power. And then the only other thing I have to say is, I always thought, what's that guy's name? Trask. I always thought he was more. He has a son. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because I felt like he was a thorn in their side way more than this guy who has a change of heart fairly quickly and then commits suicide to undo his tragic mistake. Like, that's not Which the I trash guy I know. Right. And it kind of sucks to just abandon your kid like that. Yeah. Well, it's better than having the world being taken over with your kid still in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, I had just a couple other thoughts. Uh, whenever the police are carrying Xavier over the Sentinel Fortress, they said we all thought this guy was off his rocker until we got the word from Washington to do whatever he said. Uh-huh. So we, we don't really get his name dropped very often. I think we've only ever heard it once. But uh, there is that. FBI agent Fred Duncan. Yeah. Xavier is friends with. From X-Men 2, right? Mm -hmm. The Vanisher and all that. Yep. Yikes. That's a cool callback, yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I had something on 17. Oh, oh, why? In the name of all that is mutant, (laughs) why is the beast carrying Iceman on his butt (laughs) upside down? That's not... He it's, even says there's more a, than one way to skin a cat or to transport an Iceman. He's too slippery to hold in my hands, so I'm going to cradle him in my knees on my butt. <laughs> Which he could just do in his arms that are also covered, right? Yeah, gravity works really well that way. He'll stay in your arms. Well, I think it's because he's the beast and he can. Like, you're just jealous. There's no way you could do that. And he could totally do that. I guess. It's just like, that's not better. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if you look at the next issue or the next panel, he can use his arms to swing around while he's got Iceman in his knees. But he can do that with his feet. He could. So it's like, okay, I, I get that he's like quadridextrous. Uh huh. It's just weird. It is a little weird. Like you Iceman wakes the- up and it's his butt. Right. <laughs> hey, Hank. <laughs> What's going can, on? Can we change this around, bud? <laughs> I'm. Feeling things I didn't know I felt. Um, <laughs> yep. Do you want to guess who the shadow person is at the end? I know who it is, so maybe we shouldn't say. But I, uh, I, okay. I know who it is. How do you know who it is? Because I guessed who it would have to be, and then I looked it up just to see if I was right, and I was. Gotcha. Well, that works. 
Yep. Well, so now, now everybody listening is like knowing you, exactly who it is. Yeah. If you guessed it successfully and then just looking up confirmed it, then. Yeah. So, so, so who did you guess? Magneto. Magneto. Yay. It has to be, so, right? I mean, who else could it be that we care about? Right. And there's even a hint of his little forehead uh, yeah. horn thing. Exactly. In the shadow. All right. Last one. Here comes Daredevil. Dun, dun, dun. Number 12 for 12 cents. Whoa. It's called Kazar Lives Again, Sightless in a Savage Land, even though he's also sightless pretty much everywhere he goes. Um, a Marvel landmark issue in which Daredevil attains the towering heights of greatness he was born to achieve. I don't know about that, but okay. <laughs> Story, Stan Lee, layouts Jack Kirby, lettering Sam Rosen, and introducing the matchless artistic wizardry of Marvel's newest and most eagerly awaited illustrator, the imitable John Romita. <gasps> nice, right? Yes. Um, so it opens with a big giant splash page of not Daredevil because John Romita is so awesome, it still looks cool. And Matt Murdock is leaving Nelson and Murdock, and he's, I guess he's not looking at anything because he can't see, but they're looking at him through the window, and Foggy's like, you know, even though I've been horribly bad to him, he was a good friend to me. And now nothing will come between me and Karen as he strokes her shoulder lecherously. And Karen's like, oh, I really wish I could hook up and be with Matt, but he doesn't like talking, so I guess I'll settle for Foggy. Uh, Matt goes home. He laments that he can't just be Daredevil all the time. He's tired of being Matt. Matt's lame. He uh, decides, you know what I need? I need to go on a cruise. And guess what? That cruise is leaving really soon that I just signed up for on the internet that doesn't exist yet. So he changes to Daredevil, does this awesome swashbuckling Daredevil stuff just to get to the boat on time. And then, like, they lead him in as Matt Murdock because he's, like, you know, disabled and stuff. And as he's getting on board, he hears the captain talking to a guy. And the guy's like, what about the plunderer? Do you think we'll get attacked by the plunderer? And Matt's like, I think I've heard of the plunderer. And literally, like, one panel later, the plunderer attacks them. Um, And he looks like a you know, straight up pirate with a pirate ship and everybody screams and starts panicking and like his pirate ship shoots grapples onto the yacht and they all board and then Matt turns into Daredevil and just starts laying into all of them. Um, And at some point the plunderer is like, hey, you better stop fighting us because I've got all these people on a plank and I'm going to kill them if you do. So of course Matt surrenders and he's like, but you know what? I like you. You're a really good fighter. You should join us. Come onto our boat. Uh, It turns out it's not a boat. Or it is a boat, but it's not like a classic traditional uh, pirate ship because it can fold up and turn into this cool scuba submarine thing. So Matt's like kind of tripped out about that. He asks the guy like, you know, who are you and stuff. He's like, I was a guy who wanted to invent this boat, but they mocked me. So I invented it and now use it for evil. And I want you to join. And while we're waiting for you to decide, we're going to go to this place that I found uh, called Skull Island. Daredevil's like, I don't know what Skull Island is. He's like, yes, I found it when I was I found it accidentally when I was looking for Atlantis. Atlantis, Skull Island. It's all around the same area. And they get there. um, And when they surface, they find that Skull Island's been attacked. Something attacked it. And Skull Island is also apparently where uh, uh, the Savage Land starts or is around because Kazar's there with his tiger and they've been tracking the thing that attacked skull island which was um i forget what they're called pirate or uh, uh swamp men so now he's involved so the plunderer and daredevil and all the group 
get off the boat and start investigating and are immediately attacked by Kazar and what's his name? Zimba? Tiger? I don't know. Zabu. Zabu, yeah. Because they think they're invading the Savage Land also, like the, um, like the uh, 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 Swamp Man. And they are. And he's in charge. So he wants them gone. So he starts fighting. And then Daredevil's like, no, don't fight them, and tries to fight back. But Kazar, like, he holds his punches, so Kazar totally overpowers him and knocks him out, basically, and then keeps on fighting. And he goes toe-to-toe with the plunderer, and he throws a rock at the guy's head, and the plunderer accidentally misfires because it hits him in the neck. And what he misfires on is, like, the pile of munitions that they, like, put there in a big pile for some reason, and everything explodes. Lots of explosions. Uh, Kazar and his cat run away. Daredevil wakes up and immediately gets hit in the arm and falls over, and he's being surrounded by fire, and he's going to die. But Kazar's like, you know what? He actually fought with bravery, and he's dressed weird like those other guys that I encountered once, see X-Men. And those guys ended up being cool, so maybe I shouldn't have fought him. Maybe I'll save him real fast. So he picks up Daredevil's unconscious body and takes him back to a cave, and he's like, man, the only thing that can save you is a jungle herb that I know about called from the juju plant. But I got to go fight those pirates. So I guess I'll just leave you for dead. But then he has a heart to heart or then he has like a a moment and decides, you know, no, no, he is brave. And uh, I guess I'll go get this juju thing and try and help him, even though it's guarded by this dangerous tendril plant with lots of teeth. So he, he uh, confronts it and tries to grab the juju berry, but the tendril plant grabs him and starts pulling him into his teeth, and his tiger runs to his rescue, but we don't see what happens, so maybe he's eaten, maybe he's not, because we then cut to Daredevil, who's still unconscious on his cave floor, and this shadow uh, spreads across over him, and it's the shadow of Magor, last of the deadly ape-men tribe, and he looks really mad, like he's hungry and wants to eat some Daredevil. So, to be continued. There's a lot of ridiculous in this book. Yeah. But I still really like the uh, the overall idea of it. So, confession, I almost didn't even read our homework tonight, finish our homework for tonight. Uh, and I was going to be like, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to tell John I, I can't do the comic book thing tonight, you know? Guys, although all I had left was Daredevil. And I was like, I don't even know if I want to read this right now. I'm just not in the mood. And opened it up. John Romita couldn't stop turning the pages. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if the story is good, but it is so visually delightful, this story, mm-hmm. this this issue, that, like, my gosh, it was just fun to keep going through it, even though it's kind of bonkers. So for those who don't know, like the five of you out in the audience, mm-hmm. um, John Romita is very well known for epic runs on Spider-Man and other stuff. Uh-huh. But uh, he got his start in the Marvel superheroes right here on Daredevil 12. Yeah. Before this... He had done a whole bunch of romance comics for Marvel. Yeah. So um, the the credits are a little bit misleading because he's not new to Marvel at all. No. He's just new to the superhero scene. Um, but at this and, point, at this point, they do seem to differentiate that. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And other than Spider Man, Daredevil is probably the soapiest comic book they've got going on right now. Mm-hmm. So putting a romance artist on Daredevil makes a lot of sense. And then Jack Kirby does the layouts to help get him started with, you know, superhero dynamics. And he's off to the races. So there was this... Even, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, he even, like, cuts his teeth on action scenes right there in those first few pages. So there was this cool series, if you liked drawing comics or you just, like, 
listening to people being interviewed about stuff that you like that they could create. There's a series on VHS that Stan Lee used to do where he interviewed comic artists, right? And uh, most of them were the guys at the time that were hot, which was all the image guys. So there's a McFarlane one and a Liefeld one and a Jim Lee one. But he also did a cool one called the Ramitas, and it had both Ramitas on there, senior and junior. Okay. And I recommend finding it on YouTube. Maybe I'll post it on the show notes here or whatever, but the show post. But uh, a lot of the talk was about Ditko. Like he started talking about like when he first came on to Spider-Man and what was going on with Ditko and stuff. And I'll save that for another time after I rewatch it and we get to Ditko leaving. But there was one part where he did say, Mr. Ramita Sr., that he likes Daredevil the best and wished he could have stayed on it. Oh. Which was kind of a shocker because, you know, he's known as the Spider-Man guy. But, right. But he said he had the most fun. He really liked drawing Daredevil. And you could really feel that, man, because this all these pages of him like making his way to this cruise ship are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a feast for the eyes. Now, we're just getting off of Wally Wood. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Daredevil is hurting for good art. No. Wally Wood was also awesome. But this is just like, wow. I don't know. This first splash page, like they even make a point of saying it's not that that exciting of a splash page right now because there's it's just Matt, but it still looks really cool to me. Mm-hmm. And Wallywood is gone now. Wallywood has left Marvel. Yes, shockingly, I did not realize his stint was so short. Yeah, well, he has such an impact, right? He changes yeah. the suit, does all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, agreed. Visual feast. Um, all right, so they start talking about the plunderer. Uh huh. And my first thought was, oh, yeah? Well, what about the Barracuda? <laughs> yeah? From that Strange Tales story. Oh, God. But no. The one where uh, it was Torch and Iceman on the boat together. What is with boats? This is such a Golden Age thing, too. Like, I can't tell you how many Batman stories have had boats. Like, is it just because they're out in the water and they're stuck? I think so. I think it just gives you a different kind of dynamic to draw. Yes, I guess. I feel like right now they're doing a lot of Daredevil in weird way, do weird places that I don't think of Daredevil being in. Like castles? Like castles and then this and then fighting Annie men. Like Daredevil's, I guess he's not a crime guy for a while. Maybe that's just a Frank Miller invention or something. But but issue number one or two had him breaking up a like a car thieving place or whatever. Car parts yeah, well, place and stuff. Issue one had a lot of noir elements that just leave the story, leave the series for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Take a he, long time to come back. He's just doing a lot of weird stuff. I feel like they don't know what they want to do with him, kind of. But yeah. That's okay. We'll figure it out. He's uh he's kooky. He's like he's not Spider-Man, but mm-hmm. there's a lot that that feels like some elements of Spider-Man. I don't know. Well, I mean, heck, Spider-Man's never gone to the Savage Land. Right. Spider-Man's pretty street. I mean, he does have, you know, cool supervillains, but he's pretty street right now still, I would say. I can't think – other than the team up with Doctor Strange where he went to another universe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that happens. That, that was the most outlandish thing he's done by far. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wish this issue's plot could have been structured differently. Okay. Like, they reveal on the cover – this is a Kazar story. Right. But it takes a while to get to where Daredevil knows that it's Kazar or sees Kazar, doesn't see Kazar, but encounters Kazar. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had had the pirates on the cover and let Kazar be a surprise reveal when mm-hmm. Daredevil gets to him, mm-hmm. I think that could have been cool. I think it would like, you know, have a blurb on it and wait till you see our surprise guest star. Yeah, I actually skipped over in my summary the, the opening bits of Kazar because it almost seemed like unimportant in a way. It would have mm-hmm. it would have been cooler if everything was from Matt's point of view, and suddenly there's like this crazy caveman, and 
his saber-toothed tiger attacking, he'd be just like, "What? What's going on?" <laughs> right, right. And we'd know who he was, and, yeah. and that'd be fine. But like, yeah. to tell us up front that Kazar is going to be in this, I don't know. I feel, I feel like it sort of ruins. And they do that a lot. They they yeah. they put stuff on the cover that is in the story like a reveal, which isn't quite what this is. But it, they did that a lot. That said, that I feel like this cover is pretty famous. I don't know. This why. is a really good cover. Yeah, it's actually. pretty cool it's, cover. It's, saying all that, it's a good cover. Yeah, it just you know undermines them, but. Mm-hmm. Um. So the plunderer is a lord. Okay. We don't have lords in this country. So is he British? Well, I guess. What I want to know is what kind of motivation is that? Like, I I wanted to invent this cool thing that we're now riding in that I invented, but people laughed at me. Like, who is laughing at him? I don't understand that stuff. And also, why being evil is the payback for that? Why not just the invention being good enough? Look, I did actually make it. You're stupid for laughing at me. I'm smarter than you. The mm-hmm. end. That's it. Why world domination on top of it, you know? <laughs> it's always weird. But he's not the first scientist to have this motivation, I feel you like. You just can't let it go. You always got to go the extra world dominating mile. I don't understand you. <laughs> right? Anyway. Um, Skull Island. He discovered while researching Atlantis and watching King Kong movies. Yeah. So I, I was a little muddled on that. Skull Island is not the Savage Land, but it's like... An island. I guess it's an island in the Savage Land area. It's an island in the Savage Lands Peninsula or something like that. Like, 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 Kazar can stand on a tree and see it. Right. But it's not connected. But that's where it's part of the whole prehistoric tropical Antarctica thing. Right. It's where these. uh, I keep forgetting what they're called, man. The Swamp swamp Men. Men. It's where the Swamp Men are going or coming from or something. So I feel like. The fact that it's down here being weirdly supernatural makes it just part of the Savage Land. I guess it is. But he didn't, I feel like the plunderer didn't know the Savage Land existed because he just talked about Skull Island. Yeah, I, maybe. Don't know. I don't know. Anyway, he must now. Kazar is pretty ever, cool in this. Do they ever actually bring attention to the fact that this is in Antarctica? Yeah, right? They talk about how long it took to get there. Uh, well, they say a few hour hours, but here's the thing. Um, <laughs> From New York? <laughs> From New York to Antarctica, okay, so if you go straight south uh-huh. from New York, there's a bit of Antarctica that sticks out really, really far, like a long, skinny peninsula. So depending on where exactly they're hitting, if they're hitting at the tip of that or if they're like going further into to the coastline, we're talking of at least seven or 8,000 miles here. An air flight would need over half a day. If you're going to take a boat to... Like if you like right now, if you're going to get up and go take a boat to Antarctica, you can. It usually takes multiple days, not a few hours. Well, but this is this invention that he was mocked for. So I guess it's a superboat. I find it interesting that he found a whole different fantasy island while looking for Atlantis. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and no giant monkeys in sight. No. Uh, Kazar still talking with stilted. English. I don't know if that lasts forever, but for now he still is. That Tarzan. It doesn't last forever, but yeah, it's still happening now. It's kind of annoying, but that's okay. It sticks the whole Tarzan shtick. Yeah, basically. All the explosion scene was pretty cool and dramatic and kind of neat. I was amazed at how fast this read was, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty solid read mm-hmm. uh, as far as just like getting through it. Page turner. Um, Daredevil's like, I'm not here to fight you as he is punching Kazar <laughs> in the stomach. <sighs> yeah, those superheroes, man. You, you, you'd think they could like avoid this once in a while. Right? But no. 
They must fight. He can't land down there next to the guy that, you know, and punch some of the guys that Kazar is punching and say out loud, let me help you or something. Wouldn't that be easier? Why is he trying to stop Kazar from punching the plunder guys anyway? He hates them. They're like cap. They're his captors. Right. Why is he stopping it? He should just chill in that tree and let this dude take them all out for him. <laughs> Makes me think superheroes. They fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. They fight. Fight, 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 fight. The Marvel superhero show. Sometimes. Yep. Big page of suspense and drama at the end. Yeah. Magor is pretty scary looking. Kind of, again, out of nowhere, but, you know, it. it well, this, I, is a, this is a lot of out of nowhere that's still weirdly fun to read. I feel like the X-Men issue with him, like, established there were weird ape men people or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, that's true. Like, there's different levels of evolution on this island or this whatever this is, land. Right. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. It's cool. Dramatic. Fun. I hope he lasts more than like three issues, but I'm not sure. Kazar or the... No, the uh, John Romita. Oh, um, he goes at least to 16 and 17 because that's the Spider-Man crossover. Okay, cool. I don't remember how far he reaches he after that. He probably leaves Daredevil when they need him for Ditko leaving. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. I don't know who takes over Daredevil after that. I do not remember. I don't know. Oh, well, we'll find out when we get there. Frank Miller, probably. Because <laughs> we actually will get there. Like, when we started this show, the idea of the end of the Ditko era felt so impossible. And now it's like, we're, we're just going to get there in a hand, yeah, yeah. handful of episodes away. Yeah. All right. So, I guess it's time to start wrapping this bad boy up. Yep. What do we got for next week? Well... It's funny you should ask, because I was not ready to tell you. <laughs> I could actually tell you if you want. but <laughs> No, I've got it right here. I've okay. got it right here. Um, we are going to be covering Journey into Mystery 124, Enter Hercules. Whoa. But only if you have his consent. <laughs> Definitely Hercules, yeah. Tales to Astonish 76, Uneasy Hangs the Head, with uh, Namor and Dorma on the cover, and the Hulk is probably doing the Hulky stuff in the back. Sergeant Fury 26, Dum Dum Does It the Hard Way. What is going on with these covers this month? Most Dum Dums do, actually. So, you know. And since we always have our double dose of Nick Fury, usually back to back, we also have Strange Tales 141, Operation Brain Blast. So there you go. And Doctor Strange fighting Dormammu in the backup. So read those and then keep subscribing. Type Make Ours Marvel into your favorite... uh podcast app or you can go to makeoursmarvel.com where you can find all the information about our show like our the uh, episode posts and links to social media for Facebook and Twitter and you can also contact us through the site or you can just email podcast at makeoursmarvel.com and uh, Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics the show is at Make Ours Marvel. My other podcasts are Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TFUK Podcast on Twitter. Uh, my son and I are currently in the heart of season two of the original Transformers cartoon series. So even though the show is ostensibly a comics podcast, we are covering the cartoons as well. And season two is a fat one. So so a lot of a lot of episodes about cartoons right now. Um, then also I have all the pouches and image comics podcast, which I took April off and I'm coming back with three new episodes in May. So those should be out and available to you. Um, and then uh, yeah, eventually I'll get back to my tweet blog at Let's Talk Wanda. Maybe I'll do that this summer. Maybe I'll do that while I'm social distancing. But that is uh, that's all the stuff on Twitter. So is that our episode? That's our episode. 
So until next week, or until Dragon Man needs reading glasses, make ours marvel. <laughs>